Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all good today. Um... And thanks for pressing play and having a listen to this episode. So this episode, let me tell you about it. The guest is Jason Perry. Rephrase, Grammy Award winning Jason Perry. Most of you will know Jason as being the singer in the rock band A. But there's a hell of a lot more to, to obviously Jason and his career in music, which you're going to find out about in the the next hour or so. Um, he's worked as a as a producer and as a songwriter for for many other acts, and and it's it's a great chat. Jason came over to to mine. It was the first time we'd met, and, and I think it's safe to say we got on really really well. And I hope you get as much enjoyment from the conversation as what I did chatting to to Jace. Um, before we we start the episode, just a quick shout out to um 76 for producing this um brad acton and my name is ad for video work and uh the artwork we're on all the social medias guys so if you want to follow us we put lots of bits and bobs up on there on insta facebook twitter and all that jazz and a big thanks to you lot for supporting this podcast um i know i've been going a little while now but I didn't think it'd be it'd get the response it's got so just a, a, a big thanks to to all you lot for continuing to listen and and like and share and retweet and say nice things about um the podcast and you know and, and the guests that we have on so it's, it's much much appreciated um and a big thanks to the Distraction Pieces Network and all the guys over there and obviously the the pod dad, Scroobius Pip. Enjoy this episode of Off the Beat and Track podcast with Jason Perry. Mr. 76, drop that beat. It's Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. <laughs> right, we're recording. It's, um, it's a, a little bit of an overcast Wednesday afternoon. And um, I don't know what what you guys can expect from this podcast because uh, we've just had a conversation pre-record that we're both lispers. So uh, my guest struggles with his essays, and uh, well, and as do I. Um, 
So, yeah, strap yourselves in and um, subtitles are available. So my guest today uh, is Jason Perry. Hello. You all right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking how we live maybe 25 minutes from each other. Yeah. And we've, we know lots of the same people, but we've never crossed paths before. No. So we've had a, some emails backwards and forwards in the last couple of weeks um, about sorting this one out, as well as you sent me the pilot for your podcast. Yes. Yeah. So that's exciting, right? Yeah. Really good. Yeah. We're going to dive straight into that. Let's do it. And get excited about that. So, um, yeah, I think we'll start recording a bunk, bulk lo- load of it next month. So he's got to get some good guests lined up. But, yeah, it's going to be ace. And All the concept about the of it? It's basically ripping off Quickly Kevin, Woolly Score, but for music. Mm-hmm. So it's like a 90s podcast about music. But um, I'm kind of like a, not a child of the 90s, but the 90s was our 60s, really. Mm-hmm. So when I got a record deal and when I went to a gig every single night... I remember one time, I remember one, one week, saw Jane's Addiction, Faith No More, Green Day, and Rage Against Machine. In a week? In a week. Fucking hell. Can you imagine that? All of the Astoria. Can you imagine that? I mean, now. So that would have been... Maybe it was 10 days. I do exaggerate, but, you know, that, you've got no chance of that. I mean, now, and that's what the 90s... That's why it's amazing. You, we, we kind of think about, you know, the beginning of the 90s, and makes his a band called Jesus Jones and EMF and they kind of, they were dominant and it was kind of dance and dance rock and then you had the early kind of club scene and then kind of um, techno and then it went from that to kind of hip-hop, West Coast, East Coast, Mm -hmm. all that into Green Day bringing punk back to the masses, into Lollapalooza, into... You know, the BC Boys just being dominant and Beck and all those amazing um, acts from the States. And loads of bands getting signed in England, um, including those and loads of kind of guitar bands. And then it ended up with new metal. Mm. And in the middle of all that was the kind of indie indie years as well, yeah. with, with Joe and, and Steve doing their Thursday night. Um, it was just an amazing time. Mm. And what happened in 10 years is incredible. And obviously, we were there banging in the middle of it, and we're fortunate to have loads of mates that still talk to us. So I think we're in a good position to get excited about it and yeah. make it, you know, it's funny as well. Some good, funny things happened in the 90s. But. Do you know what, mate? It's like, it, you know, I've said it quite a lot on, on, on this podcast and Hardcore Listing that, you know, we're very similar in age. Um, and I think from sort of 89 to 99 like as you've obviously just broken a lot of them down the 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 scene changes you know in alternative music and in sort of more mainstream music as you said about this hip-hop and r&b and things like that it was just so fast and so like every scene had a really definitive look and 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 it felt like the radio was alongside it the fashion was alongside it yeah you know the videos and, and everything just feels like you know, I grew up in the eighties, and and there was some obviously some amazing scenes there. But it just felt like the nineties was 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 very much. I think yeah, I think it was. And I, it was, and it was I, a boom time as well, right? It was a boom time, and either we caught up with it because we got old enough, or the industry caught up with. Like in the eighties, because I was a kid, it felt it felt like there was loads of bands, Adam and the Ants and Madness and the yeah. Jam, with my first live band I ever saw, and it felt miles away. And then in the nineties, 
I felt like they were touchable, all, all the bands that were in. But I also felt like radio and TV, MTV, just, you know, satellite TV exploded. Suddenly we had Beavis and Butthead and MTV and Radio 1 seemed to catch up with all that as well. Yeah. So culture was really just there for, mm. you know, if a Smashing Pumpkins record came out, everyone knew about it. Yeah. Whereas now, I don't think... It's not going to get mainstream. It ain't like that anymore. Play, is it? And it's good in a way. I mean, I hate being an old moaner, so I'm not. And um, But, you know, I was, I was in LA a couple of weeks ago just walking down Sunset and like, man, this street used to be wicked. And it's so shit now and boring. And it's just loads of hotels and gyms and, you know, what past the rainbow. It almost seems like a parody. I mean, it even did in the 90s. But just, yeah, just that kind of, it just seemed to be alternative music, music, I don't know, it just seems to be culture. Whereas yeah. now it's one part of culture, which is great. Yeah. And I love that there's other cultures and stuff, but something really exciting about that. I mean, even like the PlayStation coming out and being like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Like Ridge Race or whatever it's called is really good. Like everything yeah. just stepped up in the 90s. Okay. Kind of, it was just really, really exciting. So we're excited to talk about that. And me and my brother, when we talk, we talk super fast and we're super energetic. So we've got a guy called Ben who anchors us and... Yeah, lots of good tales to tell. So, yeah, I'm excited. Well, I've heard the pilot, and I thought, as I said to you, I thought it was great. So oh, I'm thanks, looking mate. forward to, uh, to hearing it. And, and as soon as you say it, then obviously we'll, we'll share the love um, on the social medias. And, uh, and, yeah, good luck. Thank you. So let's go on to your playlist anyway, Jay. So yeah. for track one, um, you've been greedy and gone for two. And uh, I asked you for the song with the greatest intro. Ugh. Well, there's so many, isn't there? I think I put Enter Sam Monday night. You did? Oh, Where the Streets Under the Name. Mm. And both, uh, because there's a visual element to it, I'm quite a visual person, so if I listen to music, I kind of see it as well. And As in as in her? I don't know. I kind of, I, I don't know. I'm a really visual person. I love, uh, I used to be, a, you know, wanting to be a graphic designer. Music kind of took me away from that. So I just kind of, yeah, I always see it visually. And, and when I think of those two, I think of that rattling ham, that amazing helicopter shot of where the streets in their name, and it's flying around that that mm. stadium, and it's all the red backdrop, and it, and you get that amazing time signature where it changes, mm. and you can hear Larry counting in, and that guitar shifts, and it just builds up, and it's so emotive, it's just incredible, and I think, yeah, a lot of people not you two, I'm not a music snob. I, I think they're amazing. I think when people say they don't like you two, I think may, maybe they don't like Bono. Mm. And um, I, but I think Bono would be okay with that because yeah. you know most big front men are quite prepared to be unliked, yeah. and he's incredible. But that as a piece of music and just to do emotive pop music, which is what Coldplay are really good at when they get it right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a record producer to, for me. Um, it's all about the bass and. The bass player from Coldplay and the bass player from U2, I think, are probably the most underrated mm. musicians in pop music. Because mm. all that emotion comes from the simple... Uh, and, you know, Peter Hook's a really good example in New Order where you got the neck and you get all that excitement and he almost plays it like a lead Lock guitar. Age, yeah. But when you get that big, long slide that Adam Clayton does, or the, I forgot the bass player from Coldplay, um, he does as well. You just slide at the neck at that right moment and it just gives you shivers. Yeah. And... Um, some early Coldplay songs have got that. Um, I think Paradise is an amazing example of that. Mm -hmm. um, and Where the Streets and Their Names got that as well, where the bass line makes it. It's not about the 
the you know the delay on the guitar it's just that simple bass change just kills me and it's just a guy doing that yeah i think it's easy to to, to knock you two and and you're right because of bono yeah um but joshua tree is ridiculously amazing you know oh, it's if you like music, I just I don't understand how you can say I, I I can't see the quality in that because and and that track, like if it finished by the time Bono done his first vocal, <laughs> there's so, enough there already. That's why the intro is so it's, good. It's so fucking amazing. It it's unbelievable, and um, yeah, it is unbelievable. And it, I think simplicity is the hardest thing in all creative endeavours yeah. and to be that simple I'll make it sound that simple yeah. have you seen that um, It Might Get Loud documentary with um, Jack White and um, Jimmy Page and The yeah. Edge oh mate I actually had a tear in my eyes watching it really it's so it's just the three of them you'd love it it's the three of them in a big warehouse all three different styles of guitar playing and then they're just talking about certain songs and it's, there's, there's a great example Edge gets up to play I Will Follow which is basically straight eights. Yeah. So it's just yeah. And Jimmy Page gets up with his guitar and Edge starts teaching it to him. And Jimmy Page is like, nah, mate. It's like, do, 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 He can't play straight. Yeah. And Edge is like, no, no. It's da, na, 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 na. And he's yeah. like, no, no, no. <laughs> None of them can do it. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's the same instrument, the same notes. Yeah. Human beings. Yeah. Both nice. Um, that's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's so good. And Jack White's in the middle, pissing himself, laughing. But there's an amazing bit where it goes, he's got Edge and Bono. No, it's just Edge and, and, and the journalist walk back to their original school or his house in his kitchen and he finds an old Tascam four track and he plays a demo of what the streets in the name. And you can hear Bono in the back going, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, counting out the, the timing. And then it's got that little time change. Yeah. And... It's all there on this little cassette, and he's listening to it, and you can, he's almost got tears in his eyes. And then it cuts from that to the um, Rattle and Hum video. Yeah. I'm out shivers thinking about it now. Yeah. It's oh, incredible, amazing. and to me that is it. That's yeah. So that and then the Sandman, which is I remember watching Metallica open up. I think they opened up for it was Wembley Stadium in the old stadium for the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. That's or, right. And and. It was just one of those moments where a band just gets it right at the right time, looks different to everyone else. You know, obviously come from California and they've got that kind of thrash metal Californian look. And I love Metallica. They can chug. I love a good kind of ch -ch chug. And Lars was, you know, people knock Lars Ulrich as well. He's an amazing drummer for Metallica. Metallica wouldn't be Metallica without him. Mm. That intro, and I'm seeing it now, and you can see all, all the crowd start clapping. You can almost see the band James Etfield thinking, "Bloody hell, this is going all right." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ninety thousand people in London yeah. like metal, and then it just goes, dum, 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 but it just kicks in, and it's that little offbeat kick in. Yeah, and it just, oh my god, it's amazing. I the totally was out. forgot they played that show. Oh, it's just, and Extreme came on after them, That's and right. were terrible, and um, I think that ruined their career. I think. Do you know what? Never heard from Extreme after, and they were they were a big band. Or yeah. he ended up joining Van Halen, I think, the singer from Extreme for a while. Because 
didn't Nuno, was it Nuno? Betancourt. End up starting. Did he <laughs> set up a band with Perry Farrell at one point, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I forget they were called. He, he was he was a cool guy, I think. He was a good guitarist, but... He was a handsome lad, wasn't he? The girls good looking, liked him. Good looking bloke. And, but they were the last of that 80s. Yeah. Um, we can still do hair metal, yeah. which is a shame because I, I love that as well. I love the cartoonness of 80s hair metal. I, uh, I think it's amazing. My... My business partner, he's uh, he was in, always in bands and stuff like that, and uh, um, we were sitting out one night um, with with our wives and stuff, and uh, we just got chatting about how we met each other and, and stuff like that, and then uh, my my business partner's wife went, um, yeah, I mean when we first went out, like um, we went back to yours and and you uh, you sat me down and got the guitar out and played. Played me that song. What was the song? And you could see on his face, he was thinking, oh, sharp, 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 sharp. And she went, more than words. Like, that no, was it. Can't be more than words. <laughs> and I just thought, literally, my face just lit up. And I just thought, you absolute knobhead. You've got your, this girl back to your house and you're trying to serenade her with a cover of more than words. You can see he just died there and then. I was like, fantastic. That's never going to be forgotten, mate. Well, they deserve it. They deserve to be. I mean, that, that is... You can say what you like about Metallica, but Metallica are always Metallica, and it helped that they got big. So, you know, sold a lot of records, and they could do, and they had Q Prime as management, and they could do what they wanted. But that was so A and for, they were such an A and R band were extreme to go from, look, we're a funk rock band because that's mm. that's big, to oh, now we're the Beatles doing, yeah. a, you know, more than word kind of yeah. acoustic thing. Yeah. Bands like Mr. Big jumped on that, and all these bands suddenly became the yeah. Beatles for a week. Can you and remember so that one of the it's two horrible. blonde lads called Nelson? Oh yeah. <laughs> How <laughs> That would have been a good look for you and your brother, mate. <laughs> I think we did. I think we did do a bit of Nelson. I remember one of the few gigs I've ever walked out on was was. Um, Extreme, uh, not extreme, Scorpions at um, Wembley Arena. And I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I know there's a lot of love for Scorpions, and they, and they probably are ace, but there was a time where I just, I just thought, there's got to be more to rock music than this. <laughs> and then I went to see Jesus Jones at, at the Norwich UEA on the Liquidizer tour. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this, there is more to rock music than this. This is, this is a rock band. I don't know what they're doing, but... And then it ended up becoming really good mates of mine, and that changed my life, that gig. Right. Seen well, that. But anyway, that's a different what, story. But but what I want to do, Jase, is I want to pick up on that, right, the, um, a little bit later on. When we get to yeah. your years clubbing, I'll just write a little note there, discuss, because as you mentioned earlier, EMF and Jesus Jones and that early scene. Yeah. I want to talk about that a bit later, because that's a scene I think gets overlooked. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. So yeah. we'll, we'll get on to that good. As, we, as we move <laughs> through. But for track two... Jase, so I ask you the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Many. I mean, mum and dad used to play a lot of the Hollies and mamas and papas around the house. And I love mamas and papas now. I still think they're some of the best produced records ever. And I was in, in the studio where they made a lot of those records last year. And it's incredible. It's where Brian Wilson made Pet Sounds, Studio 3 at East West. It looks the same as when he was in there. But, you know, you think they recorded... California Dreaming in here and Monday all around the mic and it's on Monday in, in, morning incredible it's John, it's John, uh, John um, who was the vocalist uh, the male vocalist in um, Mams and Papas yeah I've no idea I don't know their names uh, John Phillips right and that every other day every other day yeah. I know it's fine, it's fine. And, 
But then he drops the last vocal before it. Um, it's fine. And because it, time, unbelievable. Isn't it? That's one of my favourite ever vocals. It's same here. It's absolutely incredible. Amazing. It's so subtle. Yeah. But it just goes up a little notch. It's all life. They're all around the mic. It's amazing. And you're in there. You're in this room, and you've got hairs yeah. standing up, and you're like mamas and papas. But yeah. So them and the Hollies. But um, <clears throat> I think my first girlfriend split up with me, and I was into Brian Adams at the time because everybody was. And um, yeah, when when Heaven came on, I just used to cry my eyes out. <laughs> oh, thinking about a young years. No. I remember being upstairs in our house in Suffolk, in bed crying. Would you indulge it and put it on loop? No, my brother put it on downstairs. And even hearing it on downstairs made me cry through the floor. I said, like, how could he? How could he put heaven on? He could have put Ranty on, something uplifting. He's going to put heaven on. He knew. Oh, He brilliant. knew I was upstairs crying, so that was it. That was, yeah, and still when I hear it now, it just kills me. So where was you born? When, uh, where was you born? Born in Leeds, 69. Then we moved to Suffolk when I was 14. Okay. To Southwold. It's a real culture shock. And then everybody was into bands in Southwold, but they're all into metal bands because it's village. Right. So it's village metal. So what was that? What sort of stuff was that then? Um, I mean, I, I kind of, I, we, me and Adam turned up being into the jam and what we thought were kind of cool bands like Big Country. <laughs> Big Country were a cool band. They're amazing. I love Big Country. And then everybody in Suffolk, are in, they're into Dio, Scorpions, Iron Maiden. Right. It's just village metal everywhere yeah. you looked. And I started thinking, maybe if you live in a village, you have to be into village metal, where you just go to Donington every year. Yeah. And everyone everyone from all the villages <laughs> turn up together. But yeah, we mentioned it in our pilot for our podcast. It's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a sweeping statement, but I think if you come from a city, you're kind of into maybe, I don't know. It's weird, like, everybody in Leeds, nobody's into metal. They're into kind of New Order or... I don't know, the, the jam or... And then you go to towns and they've been to dance music. You go to villages and they've been to metal. Yeah. And, um, and, and they're all ace. So um, it was good. And we met our guitarist, Mark, who could play Hammer to Fall by Queen on the guitar solo. I've never heard anyone play guitar solo before. Yeah. So that was it. We formed a band within a week of joining that school. And, um, yeah. So going back to home and, and obviously... Apart from your brother playing Reckless. Um, Don't. What? <laughs> was their music on at home a lot? Your parents? Um, only the Beatles. A little bit of the Beatles. They've done all right, though, didn't they? I think they were all right. They got quite big. And um, Mamas and Papas. And um, yeah, and the Hollies Mum and Dad liked. And then my mum um, bought me a soft sell record once, like everybody's mum's probably did at the time. And then the first record I bought was... Well, it's probably, we'll get on to that, yeah. we'll get on to that. But yeah, it was, it was just buying seven-inch singles. Yeah. And I would literally come home from school and sit at the record player, which my granddad gave me, and listen to the same record over and over and over again. I didn't realise it, but I was learning how to be a record producer. Yeah. Just by enjoying music. Wish you deconstructed them. Like... I didn't realise I was, but yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you start talking about little bits and, and why bits... Why does that bass slide make me feel the way it does yeah you know and things like that so it's it's all about feeling for me it's how i feel listening to music so yeah well before we move on i know you you put a footnote here that you really want to discuss the middle eight in summer of 69 oh talking yeah oh, man, that gets overlooked <laughs> what on middle eight 
Man, we were killing time. Yeah. We were young and restless. Incredible. Yeah. And then and it's a proper mid-late. Like it, it comes out of the chorus, which is a good chorus, summer yep. 69. Every every band's played it. And you go into that mid-eight, and it and the song takes off, and then it ends and it goes bow now yep. into the drop down. That's what a mid-eight should do. Yeah. It should take you somewhere and then bang. Yeah. Like you pull the rug from under it and you're lost. And like, wow, it's so good. And right. um Mate, the writing on the album, that and the cuts like a knife record, but the, the songwriting on Reckless, it's unbelievable. And it's easy to sneer at it. It's what drove me mad about being in a band. Is when we were in our band, and some of our peers would would get big. Like we, we did a gig in France with Blink One Eight Two in Paris, and what's my age again? I just started to blow up on um, MTV, and the gig was us. I don't know, Crazy Town or something. Yeah, Crazy Town, because they had a singer called um, Shifty Shell Shock or something, and Dan called him Shitty Shell Suit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never forget that. And then, we, and, then, and then Blink, and it was a tiny club. And then three months later, they left the Warp Tour, whatever they were on, and they were basically turned into, you know, an arena band. Yeah. And that's the power of an amazing song. Yeah. And what used to annoy me, and still annoys me more than anything, is... Elements of the press or fans will just say, "Oh, Blink have sold out," because of written like like writing a good song is really easy. Yeah, <laughs> like think Green Day are not trying to write American Idiot again. Yeah. you know those songs come along every ten years if you're lucky, yeah. and they're almost like a gift from whoever gives you these gifts. Yeah, and you probably write them in ten minutes, and they're really simple. But you ain't like if everybody could do it, I think everybody would at least have a go at it Yeah. without knowing. Yeah. It's so hard and then... It's not on tap, is it? You know no. what I mean? Yeah, Brian Adams could write... I mean, he's written some amazing songs. You know, that song he did with Sporty Spice. It's unbelievable. You know I, I, I wouldn't say, and I'm not trying to be a, a snob, I'm, I'm, I'm not a particularly big Brian Adams fan, but Summer of 69 is a fucking amazing record. It's incredible. Right? And I don't care if you was listening to John Peel when you was five years old, you like that record. I do not believe that people do not like Summer of 69. It's just got everything a pop record needs. Yeah, and it's tough because I know how it sounds when you're talking, like, it's like that song that Ed Sheeran had out, that um, Galway, what's, Galway Girl or something, which to me just makes me shiver. Mm. I like Ed Sheeran, but I, that song I don't get. But it's one of those where everyone knows it. Yeah. So you, you have to argue it's a really good pop song. Yeah. And he's ballsy and brave to... To yeah. do it, especially it's when fucking rubbish. That especially record. when he does an Irish accent in it, <sighs> and you just think, mate, how have you even how have you even done that? Yeah. So it's really hard, and I'm not knocking at you at all. Obviously, you don't get big by being shit. The guy's amazing, and he's again, he's really good at making it seem simple. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's there's that. And he's like getting big, and I understand pop music, and you can be disposable and stuff. But Reckless has got that. It was massive, but it's it's just an incredible body of work. And it was uh, Jim Vallance co-wrote it with Brad Adams, and he obviously wrote a lot of. Um, I think he wrote um, uh, what's a big Aerosmith song? A really good um, Ragdoll. And there's a story where Jim Vallance, who's probably a bit more senior than Aerosmith at the time. Um, Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith had gone to do a day's writing with him and didn't want to co-write with anyone. And he walks into this room with this kind of guy who's preppy looking with a beard, looks like he's kind of a professor. And he changed one word from ragdoll, uh, from ragtime, the song was called Ragtime, 
It's like rock time. We do we do we do be. And he changed to ragdoll, living in. And just changing that one word yeah. gave that song a kind of sexiness yeah. and a sexuality to it. And that's the power of a good songwriter. Yeah. He's only changed one word. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. But he got, you know, change a word, take a third, whatever. Yeah. But he made a lot of money from that. But mm-hmm. the writing on that, on, you know, those Aerosmith songs that he co-wrote and and Reckless, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, what a mid-eight. Track three. The song reminds you of your time at school. Uh, school discos, that'd be Beat Surrender by The Jam, because oh. that's the first live band I saw, and that came out on that tour. And... um yeah, just mind blowing. And um, but it probably has to be our house by Madness because that was a, a, every disco. Or, so or common Eileen or something we, like if that. We're going to talk middle eights. Our house. I remember when we used to play "Simply Wish to Die Away." Then we'd say, "Nothing will come between us." Yeah, two dreamers. Amazing. Some of the great that there. Like, and the phrasing of, that, of the vocal as well. It's unbelievable. It's, it's like scattergun. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. There's some of my favourite lyrics, that, 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 that part in our house. Yeah. I mean, and as I've said many, many times, you know, as you mentioned the jam, the jam get their props. Everybody references the jam. Everybody references the kinks. Madness, just as important. Yeah. Social commentary, more pop sensibilities that you can shake a fucking stick at. Yeah. And like incredible videos. Like, what more do you want from a band? And I just don't think Madness get taken that seriously. Yeah, I agree. And I, I also, it's weird because, like, the quality in pop music at that time, again, you didn't realise it because so, there was, I always say to bands, like, yeah, a band, I wish you record it, it's recorded Abbey Road. Oh, okay. You know, some shit records made at Abbey Road as well. Mm. You know, Sitler Black recorded at Abbey Road. It wasn't yeah. just the Beatles. And there's some terrible records made in the 60s and 80s and there's always been good rock music and bad rock music and semi-pop is good pop and terrible pop. But it just seems that the pop we that got really big when we were at school, like Madness and stuff, or the specials, or these are pop songs that meant something and had good lyrics that yeah. people thought about. And yeah. It just, I mean, yeah. I think Dua Lipa's like that now where it's just really good pop. 
Do you know what, right? It's just like, wow, that's incredible. It's proper pop music. My kids have the radio on a lot and, and, and Spotify and listen to lots of pop. And a lot of it passes me by. But yeah. as a child of the 80s, I loved 80s synth pop and, yeah. and stuff like that. And I think that's brilliant pop. Yeah. And, and so when I heard Be The One by yeah. Dua Lipa, I was like, who's this? It's amazing. She's like, it's Dua Lipa. And I was like... Fucking hell, this is really good. Do you know why you love that song? Have you constructed, deconstructed it and worked out why you love it? Tell me. Because I, I felt something when I heard that song. Yeah. I was like, why am I feeling something, yeah. some pop music? And then I realised it was um, um, Boys of Summer by Don Henley. That's... It's the same. Ah, right. So there's something inside us where I think emotionally... Fucking it, record it, that is it, it as resonates well. and it's like... Because that's... That is top three records of all time, yeah. Boys of Summer. But yeah, be the one is that. Listen to it now, and it's it just it make it just sends you there. Yeah, you don't probably realize it. And yeah. then, and of course, it's a great song as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna rinse that later. <laughs> try, and, try and suss that. <laughs> I'm probably wrong about that. Yeah. I'll, if you are, mate, I'll let you know. <laughs> um. So so how was school? Did you enjoy school? Loved it. Yeah. I would, yeah. I loved so it. You, you got a twin brother, right? Yeah, that gives you loads of confidence. That's what I was going to say. So we've always had that. We're always a gobby's kids and we're always a bit of a gimmick. And I'm not very confident, but I'm, I'm quite good at being friendly and being kind of gobby. Yeah. I think that comes from not being confident. So I will be the loudest kid in the room because yeah. insecurity, yeah. probably. But when we moved to Suffolk, we kind of like these two loud kids from Leeds that weren't naughty, but they were loud. Yeah. And we just seemed like we just had the run of the place. So it helped you cruise through school? It's brilliant, yeah. I loved it. Loved all the few teachers that I didn't like. I just I remember thinking, yeah, maybe you don't need to be a good person to be a teacher or a good teacher. That's all right. I remember remember getting out of school thinking, yeah, a lot of these guys I just I don't like and they're not very good. But this Really? But, so you used to be picking up that... Yeah, but a third of them are, are really good and yeah. they give you lifts home. And yeah. We had the keys to the... I mean, me and my brother had the keys to the school. So we could really? go in every night and and do band practice in the main hall. We had our own locker in the school where all our band gear was. Wow. And um, it was just like that. We The teachers that were cool were really cool and the ones that weren't, you just didn't bother yeah. with. And, so know, as, I loved as a, it. As a school then, because, you know, thinking about my time at school, like you, you wasn't really encouraged to be creative like when, when I went to school. So obviously from what it sounds like, your school was completely supportive of... of uh, no, it wasn't. I don't think we were encouraged to be creative ever. I think they just, I just think we were just had that confidence to try and get away with it. Yeah. And um, yeah, we managed to get a key cut. I don't even know if we did it. I don't even know it was legal, but we had a so key. We're now getting the bottom of it. You broke into the school <laughs> most nights, right? I mean, I've got 30 computers I'm in my garage. <laughs> BBC computers. BBC micros, if you want some. <laughs> and loads oh, of chalk. Brilliant. <laughs> Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through 
and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up and get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Outside of school, did you, you know, in, in Suffolk, did you feel a connection with the, the, the kids you was growing up with, or was, was you and yeah, your brothers like... connection was music then. So you, you was already, obviously you was playing in the band, so you was already, so what, say, what, 14, 15? 14, yeah, we, I mean, we were rubbish, yeah. and we weren't, we weren't good. Um, and I look back and I'm um, cringe, it was yeah. awful. We looked like Miami Vice, and we were trying to play covers by Rush. Yeah. And I love Rush, and I love 80s Rush, when they dabbled with Sims. Yeah. And, um, but you shouldn't be playing that when you're 14. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. awful. <laughs> it was so bad. But we, we know we pulled two two to three hundred people a night in a pub to come and watch us play Rush covers, and nice. gradually we just, we just I don't know, just everybody just seemed to be into music. Everybody was in the band, yeah. And everybody's dad drove them around with cars full of drums and gear, and that's all we were into. I yeah. wasn't really into girls, and I didn't have the confidence or the looks or the swagger. I wasn't bothered. But I was being, just into did you music. feel that like by being a front man in a band and being a singer that that could help? No, I never thought of it like that. Really? No. No. In fact, it used to, girls used to terrify me. Really? If a girl came up to me, I'd blooming run a mile. Yeah. <laughs> so scared of them. But maybe since I was a late developer, and yeah. I've, I've always had a bit of an awful body, and I was like, oh, I don't anyone. I just never never thought of, I never had a connection between girls and music, yeah. or money and music. Yeah. I, I never seen some people getting That's the band nice though, man. to get the chicks, don't yeah. they? But, yeah, we certainly didn't get I mean, those. I was exactly the same as you. I'm, I don't think I'm sitting here thinking I was anything different. I was exactly yeah. the same. I could never go and talk to girls. And, yeah, I, I found that, you know, being a singer in a band meant that sometimes girls would come and talk to you, but I didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, no, I didn't. I mean? And I always thought that any girl that came to talk to me thought our band was shit. <laughs> like, girls don't like Rush, remember? <laughs> no, they don't. If any girl comes up to you after doing a Rush cover... Don't talk to her because yeah. she's weird. Yeah. My friends in my friends or a his, keeper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my friends in this band called Nerf Herder. He's called this guy called Parry Grip. He does these amazing little fake songs like yeah. chimpanzee riding yeah. the Segway. These little memey kind of songs that are I'm massive on the internet. Yeah. yeah. But he's he's written a song called "The Girl That Listened to Rush." <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics are amazing. Nerf Herder. Did they have a track on the Buffy soundtrack? Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did didn't we they? We toured with them on that. On the album, when oh, the, yeah, it was right. and they had a song called Van Halen, which was awesome. I bought Van Halen one. <laughs> it was really good. It's really funny, geeky guys. Right, track four, Jace. The yeah. first record you remember buying? Uh, so Lonely by the Police. Oh, so choice, mate. And that's why I sing so high. Because of that. Yeah, because I, I thought everyone sang like that. Yeah. But it's so high now, isn't it? When you listen to it, it's like so lonely. What it might, tune, be, it might be higher than that. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I saw a video the other day. Um, I ended up Googling some of the recent, uh, YouTube in some of the recent, I say recent, probably about three years ago now, um, when the police toured again. Yeah. Just to have a look at it. And it ended up switching to Sting being put in some kind of, I don't know, a Barack Obama was there signing him into some kind of award or something. <laughs> but Bruno Mars was playing So Lonely. Right. Fuck wow, me. that'd be good. He knocked it home as oh, well. They did. Um, obviously, I think he went from. Uh, is it locked? At, uh, yeah, which the, is a police ripoff. Which is the police. Yeah, so, boom, boom. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah, tune, yeah. No, good it's really good, isn't it? Production's um, amazing on that as yeah, well. Yeah, that's Ronson, isn't it? Yeah, he's a genius, Mark Ronson. And uh, and then he went into Salonian. I just thought, 
Yeah, oh, what? That's and awesome. It, and it proper. And he was playing guitar. And, he was, well. and it really was decent. It, it, it really was. Is there another band like that you two where people go, oh, I hate the police. And like, you don't, you just hate Sting. Yeah. And, you know, I like some of Sting's, I love some of his solo stuff as well. A bass drop from an intro of just a guitar. The urgency of that bass drop at the beginning of Message in a Bottle. Oh, mate, yeah. It's unbelievable. Oh. Yeah. What a song. <laughs> what a song. And, and the fact that his drum falls never used to finish on the beat or with a cymbal yeah. as well. Yeah. It oh, just blows my mind. That, that It just blows my mind that pop music was that... Uh, I mean, they, they played a gig at Shea Stadium, I think, and the Smith supported. That's right. And I just think, I can't imagine been there I can't yeah. imagine how good that was yeah I, mean, I hope it was good but he sounds amazing <laughs> I saw um, there was a, 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 a an American tour for, for the police supported by R.E.M. and Madness and I thought <laughs> and that would have been probably last rich pageant era of R.E.M. Yeah. And, and, and probably sort of maybe keep on running by uh, Madness era I just thought that's a decent gig right there. You can't even like, contemplate, can you? Yeah. That, yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, do you know what? I, I, I spoke to um, Mike Joyce on the Smiths on, on, on the other podcast and and he was he was talking about the, how, how, how quickly they exploded in America and was getting these big shows yeah. and was playing bigger venues than the likes of Tears for Fears that were stadium-selling, chart-topping yeah. bands. He said, but we weren't on the radio, we weren't... They were just a band that organically people would yeah. have you heard this band, you heard this band. And yeah. he said, like, we were playing these massive shows, but we weren't earning the money or getting a recognition that your Tears for Fears and, and, and bands like that were getting. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, and he was talking, he said, and it was around that time they were doing shows with the police, but that's a decent day out, and it? The Smiths and the police on the same day. Unbelievable, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, have you read what's his name's um, autobiography? Um, what's he called? Smith's guitarist. Johnny Marr. Yeah, Johnny Marr. Have you read yeah. that? I went and bought it because listened to Adam Buxton's podcast with him. Yeah, amazing, wasn't it? And I was like, I've never met you, Johnny Marr, but you've literally come across as the world's best bloke. Like, I just want to meet you and go to go out for dinner with you and hang yeah. out because you're awesome and you're into so many things. Yeah. So I went and bought his book the next day and it's really good. Isn't it? Have you watched him on stage with Hans Zimmer? Yeah, I've seen that. It's really good. Fucking it's amazing. Isn't it? And he's lost in it, isn't he? <laughs> Imagine how insecure he feels. Because oh. he's just like he's he's he doesn't belong in that world. No, but his his whole life was like that, wasn't yeah. it? And it just it just seems to me with him, it's optimism that gets him everywhere. He just seems to. I like doing that, so I'm going to go do it. I'm going to join the cribs. Yeah, like yeah, you know, uh, uh, amazing. I don't know if it was Johnny on um, Buxton's or when I spoke to Mike Joyce when he was saying that he was managing the band, writing all the songs. And was on a, obviously a, a massive creative burst, but everything he was writing was fucking amazing and yeah. sounding like nothing else. Yeah. And and he said, and you know, you're dealing with Morrissey, trying to deal with that. Yeah. And <laughs> all of these things, and managing the Smiths, booking their tours. Yeah. He's yeah, 22. And even when they were the big, they ended up managing themselves, didn't they? Yeah. As well. And like, like they did American American tour. And yeah. Not management and changing labels after three. Yeah. And he's doing all of that. <laughs> At 22? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know how much of a knobhead I was at 22. <laughs> yeah. Like... I can even clean my teeth at 22. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, mate. God. I always not. think about that. I always think, like... Um, it's funny you should say that. I think um, it was Dan Carter that said it the other day. There's some band... 
some label had sent him a demo and said, can you play these on Radio 1? And I think the, the kind of writing at the bottom of the thing was, they're, they're really good because they're only 19. And Dan wrote back going, Paul Weller had in the city out and all my cons when he's 19. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you can do a lot between 19 and 20. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you can do rush covers. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, track five, the song that uh, soundtracked your years clubbing. Yeah, I mean, there's loads of these. It's weird when you, because you talk about clubbing, you always think of dance clubs. No, not at all. I mean, it, most guests we've had on, a, a lot of them have chosen, like, kind of indie clubs. And oh, really? Yeah, no, that's good. Like yeah. That. I mean, I put down Aphex Twin Didgeridoo because that, but that leads on from, I guess, my, my club, our club was Camden Palace, as it was called, on a Tuesday night. Feet first. Feet first, every Tuesday. And best friends of Ian from Jesus Jones. Keyboard breaker Ian Baker. Yeah, so Ian would go and... Um, and Jen from the band would go down. Mike would come sometimes when he wasn't um, away. And then James Atkin from EMF and Gary, who were good mates with them, and Mary Biker. So we And some of the guys that I didn't really like their band very much, but they ended up in menswear. And you just feel like... Who was that? Oh, what's he called? Um, Chris. It was Chris that lived around here. Yep. And then Simon, the guitarist. Yeah. Really, really nice, Simon. Yeah. And um, Chris was kind of like the rock star model He was kid. a pretty boy, wasn't he? Yeah. He was in a band from South End called Smear, that I used to put on a lot. Oh, was he? And he, he had long long hair with red streaks in it and, and a Kingmaker T-shirt. A Kingmaker T-shirt? And then about a month later, I bought Select magazine, turned the page, and there was Ace Face Mod, Chris Gentry, yeah. in a three-piece <laughs> suit on a Lambretta. And I was like, hang on a minute, yeah. what happened now? <laughs> it was a bit like that. When we, when we moved to Suffolk, we moved down with his, with his band... Um, we had this house in East Finchley and all Jesus Jones and EMF and all those guys would come around our house. Don't know why, it just ended up, we just ended up being in this house where everyone came and had barbecues and watched football yeah. and Star Wars and that. And um, it was us and um, the guys, which were um, my mate Dan Hawking and... Um, from the darkness. From the darkness. And, um, but um, they went into, they weren't the darkness. Like we used to call Dan Indie Dan. Yeah. And he was into Teenage Fan Club and um, kind of the birds and kind of strumming 90s kind of early creation. Yeah. And then one day I met him um, at a party with Justin and Justin gave me their new demo tape. And Dan went, oh, mate, you're going to love this. It sounds like Queen. And he's got a Thin Lizzy t-shirt on. I'm like, Dan, do you even know who Thin Lizzy are? Yeah. You hate Thin Lizzy, don't you? He's like, no, love them. Really? <laughs> and, and there we came. But yeah, overnight... And that was Justin. That was Justin that got Dan into yeah. that. Justin's an, uh, Dan's an amazing guitarist. Yeah. Incredible. But yeah, they, they, he went from indie Dan to rock and roll Dan. Brilliant. Like that, like Chris did. Yeah. For, to, to, to um, yeah, uh, mods. Because one, one of, speaking of people that live around our way, I believe one of Teenage Fan Club live in Leon Cena as well. That's right. Um, Sean, who works at Metal, his Village Green, mm. told me that. I don't know who it is. Yeah. I think he's a drummer, maybe, or... Yeah. I don't, I don't know any of him. Yeah, it's not Norman Blake, and I don't think it's Brendan. Uh, um, but yeah, I did, I've been told that one of the What is it with Leon C? Why is everyone moving to Leon C? It's a rock and roll graveyard. I threw up on uh, Noel Gallagher at a teenage fan club gig once. <laughs> I was so drunk at an after show. That was back in the day when he, you know, you had an after show party and it was free beer yeah. and he was so poor, you'd have to fill every pocket with a yeah. bottle and walk around and just drink it as quick as you could before the free bar ended. And I was, I was going to be so sick. I opened the toilet, just threw up. And Noel was walking out and he went all down his trousers. I went, and it, I think the first away to that album come out and they were getting big. 
and obviously knew who he was. And he was so big then that he knew that everybody knew who he was. I went, oh, I'm really sorry, no. He went, don't matter, does it? It's just sick. And just walked off. And he was obviously drunk as well. Yeah. So I just front up on Noel Gallagher. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, yeah, it don't matter, does it? It's just, it was oh, so nice. Fantastic. But um, yeah, so I think feet first. And it was just, you know, standing there, leaning on the balcony, watching everybody just jump around to Primus. <laughs> And Faith and Moore and rock music, and there'd be like a rock bit, and then there'd be like an indie bit, and then it would end with a little dance bit. It was then. I was, you know, I was DJing at the Toothbrush then, and 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 it was you would play, you know, because there was so much scenes going on, and and, and that's why I want to talk about that what we called the Grevo scene, which right. was Jesus Jones, Pop Will Eat Itself, yeah. EMF. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else was 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 Luke Carter. And, yeah. Uh, that that were, were, were thrown in there, and. I thought, like, all of them bands to watch live were fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, you've seen Census things live, our good bands like that. Right. So I supported the Census things. I did you? Right. At the Pink Toothbrush. <laughs> oh, really? Right. Um, it was us and Corner Shop supported them. <laughs> and, uh, and I was playing Paul with Mark Keds beforehand. And he was really lovely, quite shy. And then I just remember hanging out with their bass player, Morgan. Right. Genius. Like to drink. We had a good drink. <laughs> I sort of left the back room to go and watch him, hammered. He looked hammered. Then I watched the greatest bass player I've ever seen on stage. I think Morgan's probably the best musician in the world. I've seen him with Muse. Well, did, am I right in saying I went to V one year and Musey's bass player, yeah. something had happened to his family, and did Morgan step in at like Morg- a week's Morgan notice just, yeah. or something? I'll just stand in and play for Muse now. I mean, that's can't be that straightforward playing bass for Muse. Well, Muse is the bass, isn't it? Yeah. He anchors all the songs, and now, now he plays keyboards and does all the percussion, and he just looks oh, like he's... He? Pa- yeah, so on that last run's tour, he's in the middle, but we, we went to Japan with Morgan um, for a week. Best weeks of my life in the band is us, and the wild arts and the streets... Because he and played in the streets, didn't he? He was in the streets, yeah. And we were on the same label as the streets. So right. we'd go out, every meal we had together and every club we went to, we went together. And, you know, Mike Skinner was awesome, funny. And you just watch it, just watching Morgan just, <laughs> just getting absolutely hammered in clubs, dancing around with beers on his head and just trying to get through airports with him when he can't, <laughs> can hardly stand up in Japan. And you just felt like, we felt like horrible monsters. Like, the Japanese are so nice. Yeah. And we just went... I think it's the most drunk I've ever been that week. Yeah. It's look back as fondest weeks ever. But yeah. it, it no matter what, he's just an amazing, amazing bloke, an amazing musician. The sense things, again, I, I, I should have thrown them in the mix when I, when I mentioned them bands. But I just thought all of them bands had such solid songs. And, and I look at them now, and I look at, you know, I guess everyone was wearing shorts, right? Yeah. And, you know, and there was dreads, and there was lots of kind of... Colour and yeah, Al from Jones had great dreads. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, and and everyone. Just, yeah. I mean, EMF obviously they they all looked ridiculously handsome. They, you know, they were the ultimate, you know, indie boy band, weren't they? They, they all looked like well, models. When and, they turned into a rock band on, on the album after Unbelievable, the next one. They're here. They're here. What that's a fucking yeah. tune. And that's like you suddenly got into Jane's Addiction and Faith and More on that, and they've been to America and they come back. Been roughing it around California and Arizona, came back looking cool as you can be. Yeah. Uh, at that moment, like, you're the coolest human beings I know yeah. on the planet. Totally it's so agree. cool. And he'd hang out with Derry and he'd look like he's in the BC Boys. Yeah. And, and and James had that kind of almost kind of androgynous kind of 
shyness to him. Yeah. Which he, and but he was an animal. Yeah. Ama- an amazing presence on stage by not doing it by just standing there. Yeah. And Zach being the coolest. Zach though. being cool, you know, and you know, spent many a drunken times with Zach, you know, and you know, it's awful that he's he's not around. And and then when when we got signed, those bands ended up like, um, I think, Derry's band toured with us and Zach's band toured with us. Carry, Carry, well. yeah, Agubah Carry, yeah, really good. Um, yeah. I, I thought um, I, I played a few shows with Carry, um, and no one remembers them. Yeah, really good. Yeah, and and I first got sent. The single one on the album, Birds. Yeah. And I thought, this is decent. Yeah. And then, is it Steve Ludwig, yeah. the singer? Yeah, who's into snake bites and stuff. That's and, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the guy that Vice made that documentary. I'd, he injects himself with, like, snake yeah, venom he, every day. Yeah, he was then on tour. Oh, really? Yeah. And he had a song called California, which I loved. That he oh. wrote. Yeah. It's really good. Great writer. Yes. Yeah. kind of strange guy, but lovely guy. And if I'm not mistaken, I read somewhere that he was asked to be the front man in Velvet Revolver. Oh, really? Mm. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah, he would have been great. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, what a time we're just. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then the Joneses got really into techno, and then next year, and this club called um, what was it called? It's down in Victoria, called the Knowledge, and that was on the Wednesday night. So I'd go to feet first on Tuesday, and then Ian would get us into the Knowledge on Wednesday, and it was hardcore techno, and. When I first went, I hated it. And then I've never taken a drug in my life. So I thought, you need to be on drugs to like this. Yeah. And then about three three hours in, I remember nodding my head. And I turned to my brother, Adam, and went, mate, this is like punk rock, but with keyboards, it's yeah. so heavy. And he's like, he's like kind of gabbery techno really yeah. fast. And then that came on, and that didgeridoo. And it was amazing. I was like, oh my God, this is so hard in the end. And we're like in this club. And no one knows how heavy this is yeah. unless you're in here. And it was so heavy. And I, yeah. Well, like, what, what we do, Jace, is we put a, a Spotify playlist alongside all these these podcasts as well. So yeah. um, if you've never a didgeridoo by FX Twin, go, go and check out Jace, um, Jason's playlist on, on Off The Beaten Track uh, Spotify because it's otherworldly, that record. It's isn't unbelievable, it? isn't it? Yeah. And, and I don't think he slept for four days or something when he made that. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's a, that's a great place to, to lose yourself as well, Aphex Twin. There, there's some there's some madness to get stuck into there. There you have it. That's the end of part one. As you can see, we we really got into our Strybody's conversations, and Jace was a a real stand up fella, and um, oh yeah, and I think we we had a good old good old chat. Hence, it's a two parter. So, no more chat from me now. Part two's out now. Head over and have a listen. I'll see you at the end. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.